This Faith and Finance podcast is underwritten in part by Christian Credit Counselors. If you're struggling with credit card debt but don't know where to start, our trusted partner, Christian Credit Counselors, offers a debt management program that can get you out of credit card debt 80% faster while honoring your debt in full. Contact them to get out of debt today at ChristianCreditCounselors.org. Ask any 10 people who've co-signed a loan, and almost half will tell you it was a bad financial decision. Hi, I'm Rob West. When the Bible tells you not to do something, it's a good idea not to, and that's definitely the case with co-signing. But a lot of folks still do it, and I'll have some advice for them today. Then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. We get this question from time to time. I've co-signed on a car loan for my nephew, and he's not making the payments. What can I do? Or variations on that theme. I think we'd hear from a lot more folks who've done this, but they're embarrassed about admitting to it. And it's sad because the only reason someone would co-sign a loan is to help someone else. Far too often, it doesn't end well. At least one survey shows that if you co-sign, you have a 40% chance of having to pay the loan yourself because the primary signer either can't or won't make the payments. And if that's not bad enough, it's usually a family member or friend who will leave you holding the bag, damaging your relationship as well as your finances. Now, the best way to keep that from happening is to simply not do it. Remember the Ben Franklin quote, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? He was actually talking about fire safety at the time, but the concept certainly applies to co-signing today, which could burn down your finances. The best way to get out of it is to never get into it. By the way, it seems Mr. Franklin actually borrowed that ounce of prevention idea from Proverbs 22.30, which reads, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And unlike Ben Franklin, the Bible actually does have a lot to say specifically about co-signing. And for good reason. Christians are often confused about co-signing. The Bible tells us to care for our family and neighbors, to help those who can't help themselves. Wouldn't that include helping someone get a loan? The Bible says no and leaves no room for misinterpretation. It warns us over and over not to do it. Proverbs 11.15 says not to pledge surety for another, meaning don't co-sign a loan for another who doesn't qualify on his own. And Proverbs 17.18 reads, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Then in Proverbs 22, 26, and 27, we find, Be not one of those who gives pledges, who puts up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? I mentioned that 4 in 10 people who co-sign get stuck paying off the loan, but studies also show that nearly a third suffer damage to their credit, and a quarter say the experience damaged their relationship with the primary signer. Proverbs isn't one of the wisdom books for nothing. Okay, by now you're convinced never to co-sign, but what if you've already done it? What can you do about it? 
Well, understand that none of these is perfect, and they all have varying degrees of pain. Uh, The thing you have to remember is that as a co-signer, you're just as responsible for the loan as the primary signer. If that person can't or won't make the payments, there's no way you can walk away from it without severely damaging your credit the loan must be satisfied. So first, try refinancing. Your legal responsibility to repay the loan goes away if the other person refinances without you. If you or the other person has been making payments for some time, the outstanding balance should now be lower than the original amount. That could allow the primary signer to qualify without you. Next, you can try speeding up the loan payments by offering an incentive to the primary signer. Offer to match any payments he or she makes. You may still end up paying half the loan, but that's better than the whole thing and it will keep the account in good standing. Now, if the loan was for an automobile, and more than half of them are, you can ask the primary signer to sign the title over to you, and you take possession. Then you'll have use of the vehicle while you're paying it off. You can also sell it at some point and recoup part of your loss. Finally, you can try doing a credit makeover on the primary signer. Help them get on a budget. Teach them the importance of paying bills on time, saving, and being responsible. Eventually, they'll be able to refinance you out of the loan. It's an approach that will have long-lasting beneficial results. Okay, so those are some of the things you can do if you've co-signed on a loan and you're stuck making the payments. We hope you find them useful. All right, your calls are next. The number, 800-525-7000. By the way, you can call that 24-7. I'm Rob West, and you're listening to Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Stick around. What if buying groceries, gas, or dining out could help change lives? With Christian Community Credit Union's Cards That Give to Missions, you can help spread the gospel, combat human trafficking, and protect vulnerable children with every purchase at no cost to you. Apply for your card today. More information is available at joinchristiancommunity.com. That's joinchristiancommunity.com. The Credit Union is an underwriter of this ministry. Membership eligibility required. If you enjoy this radio program, you're going to love all of the many different resources waiting for you at faithfi.com and the FaithFi app. You'll find powerful wisdom, free podcasts, articles, videos, and more from leading voices such as Randy Alcorn, Howard Dayton, Ron Blue, and our own Rob West. Grow in wisdom and knowledge by connecting with a community of thousands of Christians striving to be good and faithful stewards at faithfi.com or by downloading the FaithFi app. Welcome back. This is Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls today, 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. Let's begin in Williams Bay, Wisconsin with Catherine. And how can I help you today with a financial question? Go right ahead. Um, So the, the crux of my question is how soon between opening one credit card and opening another credit card should I wait but I promise it's not as bad as it sounds because what happened is we opened a cash back credit card, but it's a MasterCard and the main place that we do our grocery shopping will only take Visa. Uh-huh. And so we'd like to still get cash back for the grocery shopping, 
Yeah. But we're going to have to open a, a visa for that. So okay. we need to know how long to wait. We both have really good credit scores, my husband and I. Sure. So uh, are you north of 800, both of you? Uh, I believe I was 777, and my husband okay. was somewhere in that ballpark. Okay, very good. And are you looking to buy a house and get a mortgage or buy a car and get a car loan? Any major purchases involving debt coming up in the next six months? No, we've already done both of those. Okay. Yeah, then I would proceed. I mean, with a 775 plus, you're not going to have any trouble. Uh, now, your credit score may have dipped slightly, so that would be the only reason you'd want to wait two to three months. Um, and you could go check it yourself, that soft inquiry that you initiate, whether maybe your MasterCard offers that free, or you could go to Credit Karma, uh, you know, somewhere that offers a free credit score. You could just take a look. That hard inquiry that you authorize to open this MasterCard will result in a temporary decrease in your credit score. It could be 20 or 30 points. The only issue with that would be is when you go to apply for this next credit card, you know, whether that would prevent you from somehow qualifying for a top tier card that has, you know, some of the most, uh, you know, aggressive benefit packages, things like that. But I suspect just what I'm from what I'm hearing, if you all manage money responsibly, which it sounds like you have, and you've, you've got a high credit score, if you had a, a temporary dip, uh, it's probably already begun to come back. And even if you were applying with that dip fully in place, you'd probably still get this new card. So I don't think there's any reason to wait necessarily, especially since you don't have any kind of major purchases coming up. Um, one suggestion I might make is you could check nerdwallet.com and bankrate.com just to make sure you're not missing any cash rewards cards uh, that perhaps just slipped off your radar as you make that final decision for a visa. There are some great ones out there, uh, many of which that now offer 2% on every purchase, um, which is great because a lot of times it's below that unless you're in a certain category. But I think the bottom line is you guys can proceed, Catherine, without any problem. All right. Thank you so much. All right. You're welcome. God bless you. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. We'd love to hear from you. We've got a few lines open today for your financial questions. Again, 800-525-7000 to Martha in Chicago. Martha, how can I help? Uh, hi, Rob. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, my brother took um, a loan from his, his 401k and he just got the check a couple of days ago, but he changed his mind. Can he return that money to the 401k without any kind of penalties? Uh, yeah, you would need to contact the plan administrator. Um, so it was a loan, correct? Not a withdrawal? Yes. No, a loan. Okay. So, I mean, loans from a 401k can, you know, can be repaid early with no prepayment penalty of any kind. Um, and so he would generally uh, pay that back through regular payroll deductions, but he may be able to work with his 401k administrator to pay it back with a lump sum. So uh, I would have him call his plan administrator and describe what he's trying to accomplish and they can tell him how to do it. We were just concerned about any kind of penalties like the IRS, any kind of taxes, because he's not 59. Uh, well, he didn't take a withdrawal. He just took a loan. So until he uh, separates from the company and then that loan becomes a, a withdrawal or he actually takes a distribution, it's not taxable. Uh, and so then he wouldn't be subject to taxes or penalties. At this point, it's just a loan and he's repaying the loan. 
Okay, thank you so very much. Okay. I love your you. program. Well, Bye-bye. thank you, Martha. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Uh, to Sarasota, Florida. Hey, Philip, go ahead. Hey, Rob. Thanks for taking my call. I got a sure. couple of just a couple of quick questions. One is about the penalty for taking Social Security before your full retirement age. I have a situation where I have passive income and I reach full retirement age in December of this year. I'm operating a little bit of a deficit every month. And so I was trying to hold off. I can handle that. But my understanding is, is that for every dollar I earn above a certain amount or every three dollars I earn above a certain amount, they will take away a dollar of my social security if, if I take it before full retirement age. And so uh, yes. what's your, your understanding of that and what that limit is and everything else? I've, I've, have, like I said, I have significant passive income and I fought taking social security just because I would lose every dime of it because of the penalty. But what is that? What is that gap there? What is the amount you can earn? Give me your thoughts on that. And if I have a second after I got one more quick question for you. Okay. Yeah. Happy to do that. Uh, essentially, um, you know, when you go beyond that earnings limit, um, you will lose a dollar for every $2 you go over the limit. But here's the thing though, uh, that will eventually come back to you. So if, if you take it early, you're going to lock in a reduction on the benefit amount equal to about 8% per year or one twelfth of 8% every month. So you take it a year early, you're going to lock in uh, the fact that now you're only going to get 92% of what you would have gotten if you reach full retirement age. On top of that, there is going to be an earnings limit. Uh, it's $21,240 in 2023. If you go above that $21,000, they are going to reduce it by a dollar for every $2 you go over it. But that will actually come back to you in the form of a higher check once you reach full retirement age. So that's only a temporary reduction. You'll eventually be made whole. The piece that doesn't ever get restored is the fact that for every month you take it prior to full retirement age, you're going to lock in a lower benefit equal to about one twelfth of 8% uh, for every month you take it early. Does that all make sense? It does. Uh, just a little, little add on to that. I reached full retirement age in December. I could easily wait till January, but I reached full retirement age in December. Does that account for everything that I made prior to taking it? Or is it what you what you uh, make after you take it as far as the, the, the one for two dollars. Yeah, it would be on a pro rata basis from the time you take it forward. Uh, so they will give you a pro rata calculation uh, for from the time you start to take it until full retirement age. Now, the earnings limit does change in that last year uh, prior to taking it. So let me get that number. And just on the other side of the break, uh, I'll give you that number. Plus, also, I know you had a part two to this question. So I'm going to ask you to stay on the line and we'll deal with part two. And I also want to give you that that limit that does change in the months leading up to uh, full retirement age. Uh, so we can talk about that as well. Uh, you're listening to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We've got more to come here in our final segment today, plus a lot of questions still on hold. So we'll get to as many of those as we can today. Hey, have you checked out our website? Do so at faithfi.com. You can jump into our community and even download the FaithFi app. Hey, much more to come just around the corner. Stick around. 
We're grateful for support from Movement Mortgage, who provides residential home loans in all 50 states. Guided by a mission to love and value people and a goal to redefine the mortgage process, Movement seeks to help others achieve their financial goals. You can find out more at movement.com faith. Movement Mortgage LLC supports equal housing opportunity, NMLS number 39179. For licensing information, please visit nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Do you feel like your hands are tied with debt, preventing you from serving God? If you have credit card debt, Christian credit counselors can help. Through our debt management program, we can get you out of credit card debt about 80% faster while honoring your debt in full. For more information on how Christian credit counselors can help, visit ChristianCreditCounselors.org. That's ChristianCreditCounselors.org. Or call 800-557-1985. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance. Just before the break, we were talking to Philip in Sarasota. He's wondering about taking Social Security before full retirement age and specifically the income limits. So here's that number I was looking for. It was 56520 So let me, let me explain this to you, Philip. So if you're taking benefits under less than full retirement age, as long as you're under full retirement age for the entire calendar year, so at no point during the calendar year do you reach full retirement age, then they deduct a dollar uh, for every $2 you earn above the limit, and this year's limit is $21,240. In the year in which you turn full retirement age, they're going to deduct a dollar for every $3 above 56250 uh, but they'll only count the earnings prior to the month you reach your full retirement age. So let's say you reach full retirement age in August. They're going to count your earnings for January through July, and the limit is 56250 If you go above that, they'll reduce a dollar for every three. In either of those cases, whether it's a year where you don't reach full retirement age for the entire year or it's the year where you do reach it, that reduction will eventually be returned to you. Does that all make sense? Absolutely, and that is really helpful. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Sure. What was that part two question? Part, part two question was my dad passed away in 2005 and he had collected coins for virtually his entire life. And so I ended up with all those coins in a couple of safety deposit boxes. And recently I saw an app that you can take and you can point at one of the coins and it'll you know, tell you the value of the coin and some yeah. of those things like that. Uh, I guess somewhere in Proverbs, it talks about wisdom and prudence and witty inventions and all that. I'm always concerned about those things. (laughs) But uh, is there a a place that you know of, if someone wanted to sell those coins, how do you go about finding someone that would value them and not not walk off with one that they found that might have some value to it? Do you know anything about that? Can have any referrals on that? Yeah, I mean, let me give you a few places you could check out. One would be the Numismatic Guarantee Corporation. So uh, a numismatist is somebody who specializes in coins. And the Numismatic Society would be the kind of the society in this space. Um, And the website is, if you've got a pen handy, ngccoin.com. Again, ngccoin.com. You could also look at the Professional Coin Grading Service that would be pcgs.com. 
And then there's the American Numismatic Association, which is just simply money.org. Any of those three might be a good starting place. There's also uh, something that's pretty widely known as the Red Book. It's the Guidebook of United States Coins. Uh, It's considered kind of a standard reference for U.S. coins. And you can pick up the 2024 edition for like 16 bucks. And you could just kind of Google it, Guidebook of United States Coins. I think between those three websites and the Red Book, that might give you at least pointed in the right direction. You are a good human being, Mr. West. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you, Philip. Haven't been called yes, that sir. yet today, but I appreciate it. <laughs> God bless you. Hey, uh, let's head to Chicago. Hi, Caroline. Go right ahead. A really quick question regarding um, a 1099 S form that I received for my mom's estate. And I'm not sure how to go about that. Okay. Uh, Well, so the proceeds from a real estate transaction uh, are generally taxable. So you receive the Form 1099-S that reports the proceeds from the sale of the real estate. Now, uh, this was your mom's house, not your own primary residence, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, And so is your mom still living? No, she passed away in 2021, and I received the, the documentation um, so my attorney is asking, Hey, did you, did you file that? And I was unaware that I needed to, to file it. So it does have, a, um, an EIN number for the estate. Yeah. Okay. But you inherited what... the property solely at her death? Yes. And we okay. sold and it. You, and you just sold it this year? Yes. We sold it last okay. year. Okay. Yeah. So you're just going to want to give that 1099 S to your tax preparer, because what happened is when you received the property, there were, there was a stepped up basis that occurred as of the date of your mom's death. Um, so the cost basis on that property was as of the market values of the date of death. And then whatever gains occurred between the date of her death and your sale, that is going to be taxable as, uh, as taxable income. Um, and so, or capital gains. So you're going to want to give that 1099-S to your uh, tax preparer so they can acknowledge that in the tax return. If it was last year's return and you've already filed, then you you need to do an amended return. Okay. Okay. That's what I needed. Yes. And another question. <laughs> so do you, in, in those cases, do you typically, does the estate typically owe money? No. No, there's no uh, the, the state. There's no estate tax, and if it was under twelve million dollars, uh, you received it. You didn't pay any tax on it when you got it, and they they stepped up the cost basis. So now it's your asset, not her, hers. And from this point forward, from the date of death forward, you're responsible to pay capital gains on any gains that exist in the property as your asset. Uh, but that would not be something that would be paid by the estate. Okay. That's what I needed to know. Thank you so much. You you are welcome. We appreciate you uh, calling today. Uh, Let's just uh, quickly go to Chicago, and we're going to finish up there. Uh, What is your credit card question? How can I help you? I I went through the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University, and I set up uh, the envelope system. Uh, My sister kind of talked me into it and everything, let me do it virtually. So I set up multiple savings accounts, and I have a credit card linked to each one. And I don't let the credit card balance get above the balance of the envelope, but my sister says this is still a terrible thing to do, that I shouldn't be using credit cards under any circumstance. 
but I don't know how to set it up virtually to the point where I don't have to use cash if I'm not using these credit cards. Yeah, with all due respect to my friend Dave Ramsey, I don't have any problem with you using a credit card as long as you're living within your means. You're only using it for budgeted items and you're paying it off in full. I mean, it's actually very convenient. Can credit cards be a problem? Well, they're not the problem. It's the way we use them. But absolutely, they can get you into danger if you use them to spend beyond your means. But the way you're describing it, Adam, if you're using them for budgeted items and paying them off, I'd say more power to you and you can get some benefits along the way in terms of cash rewards so i don't have any problem with it personally we appreciate you calling today well once again our time went by way too fast but tune in next time and we'll do it all over again before we go i'd like to thank our incredible production team amy Devin, jim robert brandy rob and ben couldn't do it without them have a great rest of your day and i'll see you again next time for another edition of faith and finance Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.